So you can see through the eyes of your heart with love and compassion and see, obviously, this is the person who is falling apart in front of you. But because we believe that people must fall apart politely and we have that, that rule, we, we can't get past our rule of if you're going to fall apart, do it politely. And then I can have some love and compassion and support for you. If you don't do it politely, I'm going to go into my judgment and I'm going to go into creating more distance between you and me. Go to your room. You're not going out. I'm going to make whatever is happening for you worse. Hello, Blissful Parents. Michelle Abraham, your host here today. I am so excited, you guys. I have a great guest lined up for you today. I would love for you to meet Catherine Celery. Catherine, hi. How are you? Hi, hi, hi. It's so great to be here, Michelle. We did it. Yay, we did it. Awesome. <laughs> I am thrilled. So, Blissful Parents, let me tell you a little bit more about Catherine. Uh, oh my gosh. Catherine is a three-time TEDx speaker, a parenting coach, mom of two, creator of Conscious Parenting Revolution, and for the last 20 years, she's been really helping families thrive by using a guidance approach to parenting. So Catherine, so excited to have you here today. I'm looking forward to really diving into this conversation because as you and I were just sharing just a little bit before we uh, we press record, I thought, oh, guys, all the good conversations happen before I press record, I tell you. <laughs> I'm going to pull a little bit of that conversation into this episode here because we were talking about just over the last couple of years, how it's been a little bit of a crazy time, especially for our kids. And, and um, just would love to kind of hear your thoughts on that, Catherine. And, and, and from, you know, the conscious parenting revolution kind of standpoint, how are things looking these days? And what can us parents do to help our kids thrive? Everybody's in such a different place. Um, but you and I were just talking about the number of kids that are on strike and are basically, you know, you can't make me, I won't go back. There are some of those kids out there. And a lot of them end up in my training program because parents are just like, how do I get them to go? How do I get them to go back? So I think the transition from home to school for some kids has been like, let me go. Like they're racing out the door. They're so excited. They can't believe it. They're finally going to see their friends on the playground. And these kids are obviously thriving. So we don't need to worry about them. The ones that are, you know, on my radar are the ones that are not thriving and the ones that are really struggling to make the adjustment. Because honestly, I think school was never a perfect fit. And what the pandemic gave for them was an opportunity to stay in a safe environment and access school through you know, the Zoom. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was really lovely. So those are the kids who are like, I don't want to go back because now I realize maybe they didn't have words for it. I didn't, I didn't have that psychological safety that I needed. Right. And I didn't feel like I belonged mm -hmm. and I was never really in the in group or any group. And the, the thought of putting myself through that is so stressful and filled with anxiety that I don't know how to get one foot in front of the other. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot going on for those kids. So what is something that parents who maybe have a child that is mm -hmm. on, strike, on strike? Yeah. What is something that they can do to help kind of uh, either encourage them or, you know, figure out another solution? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I have some families in my um, conscious parenting, you know, uh, trainings that I do. And I've been saying to them, well, let's figure out what is it at school mm-hmm. that is going on that makes it so that these kids don't want to go back there. So this is where we look at the child is actually really in tune with themselves, mm-hmm. taking right action not to go. And the idea isn't what do we need to do to make them go, which is, I think, where most of the parents, who, mm-hmm. you know, start like, well, what do I need to do to make them go? And I'm like, well, let's just assume they know what's right for them. And not going is actually great. It's not great for you. <laughs> right. Especially if you're trying to work or, you know. <laughs> there are so many reasons why it's not great yeah. for you. And ultimately, it may not be great for them either. So it's not like this is a long-term solution necessarily, although it could be in some kids' you know, lives, but predominantly what's happening at school that makes it so that you don't want to be there. Mm. I'm really curious about that. And so that's where I think we need to start with anybody who's listening and having this problem is, well, tell me about what's going on at school. And it's probably got to do with something on the playground it's got to do with the social and emotional needs not being met, not feeling like they belong. That's like one whole huge bucket. And on the other hand, it might have to do with, I'm just not that good at reading. And it really embarrasses me when the teacher calls on me. Or I have one little girl that I work with who's like, I just can't sit that long. Fair enough. And the reason I love working from home is that I can get up out of my chair. And I can walk back and forth. The teacher can still see me, but I'm not interrupting her and I can get up and I can move and I can shift. And so in her case, I remember we worked together to help instigate conversations about, well, how can I move when I'm in school in a way that doesn't disrupt you, but also supports me. And so she worked on those conversations with her teacher about getting one of those wobbly chairs that is sanctioned by the school that gives her a chance to do a little more movement because this is a kid that just can't sit. So we have a lot of kids that can't sit in schools that still think sitting is, is needed. Right. And unfortunately, you know, there's still a lot of places on the planet in the school educational world where, where somehow sitting is a priority. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me because there yeah. are so many non-sitters. It's kind of like that Dr. Seuss book you know, there's the 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 green bellied something and the red bellied something and the yellow bellied something. Right. They're all different, <laughs> but they all are just fine. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to take the non-sitters and make them into the people who sit. When in offices they have standing desks, right. at homes they have standing desks, and in more progressive schools they have standing desks. Right. And it's like our school system needs to catch up a little bit <laughs> yeah. with the type of kids we have these days. Right. Uh, I know one of our, um, one of our blissful parents uh, members, she actually, she had developed this thing for her kids that are neurodiverse and she, it was a, a elastic band that they could put under their, under their chair so they could balance their feet <laughs> without anyone above the chair or above the table it. or dinner table realizing what they were doing. Right. Oh, that's so good. Oh my, she just was like, oh my gosh, that's made such a huge difference in our kids being able to just settle into eating dinner with the, with the family. Yes. Yeah. People who just, their bodies need to move. And, um, for the non-movers, we try to make the movers stop and it's a type of domination and control. Mm -hmm. 
where, you know, I think the better idea is for us to figure out how to cohabitate with the movers and the non-movers. Right. And in fact, those movers are probably going to be much more fit adults as they get older, right? Could very well, you know, I mean, they could be, there's just, I had a family once in my training and their little boy was getting in a lot of trouble. And the solution that school district had was to use a behavioralist approach, which meant that he would get a star or he would get some kind of reward for having met their need for him not to, in this case, impulsively, you know, wave his hand and have the answer to every question (laughs) or, you know, fidget and move in his chair. And so their idea was to get him to change his behavior in order to meet their standards. And every time he did that, he would get a, a, a sticker or something. And, and it was, frankly, it was diabolical in to the extent that this little boy finally said, I don't know how to be anymore. I don't know how to be me anymore. Ah, that's so sad. <laughs> so heartbreaking. And it's like, you know what? I want you to be your flavor of you. Right. And you can be your flavor of you. And we can still manage classrooms. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, impulsivity and, you know, some things I do believe there can be some personal management in learning that skill. But the father went in and he said, you know, Um, I come from a long line of standards. We stand in my family. I stand, he was a banker at Morgan Stanley. I stand at Morgan Stanley, I have a standing desk. And my father before me, he was an attorney. He had a standing desk. And he said, I don't know if it went to my grandfather or not, but if you think you're going to change this child to be a non-standing child, I mean, you got generations behind this kid and good luck, but why do it? These are the simplest things that we can do to accommodate the standards of, you know, who does and who doesn't stand and let them stand if they want to stand. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Obviously, I'm a real child focused approach to education. And that is, I believe, still unusual. Mm -hmm. Which is shocking. Because I can't imagine why we wouldn't want to be a child-focused environment Mm -hmm. rather than trying to make children accommodate our comfort. What makes me comfortable is that you sit like little soldiers in a row (laughs) and you don't move and you only call when you're called on and you don't speak out of turn. And it's like the military. (laughs) That's not advocating for complete mayhem. Mm-hmm. But it is advocating for people to learn to be considerate mm-hmm. of the teacher and one another and to come from that place of, you know, I'm going to hold my thought until, are you finished? You know, Joe, hey, are you finished? Because I'd like to share something. Seems yeah. It's like a much more civilized way of being, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Children are people too. It's one of my big mantras. Yeah, absolutely. So Catherine, you're, a lot of your work is under the guidance approach. Can you share with our parents, like what, what is your philosophy around the guidance approach? What is it? How do we incorporate it in what we do? Yeah. So in 2008, um, a colleague um, and Dr. Louise Porter, an educational psychologist, the three of us spent a year writing this particular protocol that we call the guidance approach to parenting. And it's, It's got, you know, lineage from some greats in the field and it brings it all together. The guidance approach to parenting is the approach that you take in order to get behavioral change that comes from within. 
which means that we strip away an external locus of causality, which means we don't use behavioralism. We don't use rewards and punishments because I said so. It's not on the basis of threats or a fear paradigm that we get behavioral change, which is what a lot of people use to get behavioral change is, you know, you do it because I'm your mother and I told you to do it. That's why you do it, young man, young lady, or if you don't do it, you're going to get to go to your room or there's no TV or there's no dessert or there's no friend over. And it's all about that. And that's the basis upon how I use my power to get you to change your behavior. Thomas Gordon, who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, I was a student of his. He said, when you use that approach, you activate retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. The three R's. Now, the three R's are everywhere. We see them inside our families. We see them inside our corporations. We see them on a bigger meta scale. We see them within society. When you use power over someone, they want to retaliate, rebel, and resist. So I have a few TED Talks, and one of my TED Talks is actually on this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And I said, the rebellion is here. We created it. We can solve it. And I really focus on school shootings. Because I look at the school shooting phenomenon, which we were talking about before we started recording, and I see that it is one of the three R's, maybe it's all three R's. It's retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. It's retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. It's a resentment flow that is so deep by individuals who do not feel seen, heard, and understood from their perspective. And often they're the ones who are getting caught doing the bad behaviors because it's the tragic expression of their unmet needs. And the tragic expression of unmet needs is usually socially unacceptable. Now, obviously, the way that they're expressing their unmet needs is socially unacceptable and it's dangerous. And it should never have gotten to that point ever. So when we start to see these bad behaviors as signs, signals, cries for help, then we engage with them with something other than you're grounded, go to your room, you're expelled. You know, we, we tend to punish the surface problem right. rather than look at it as the presenting problem for which there is a deep underlying unmet need. Mm. If we could shift our focus away from the presenting problem to the underlying unmet need, then we're getting to the front side of the discipline that's necessary by actually seeing it as a cry for help and recognizing that when it gets to that point, mm -hmm. we have been missing the signs and the signals for a very long time. Right. Yeah. We've been blinded by our judgment. Observation without evaluation is the highest form of human intelligence. Krishnamurti said that. And when Krishnamurti said it, I believe what he meant was, if we can just continue to be the observer of the behaviors and look at the behaviors as expressions like breadcrumbs, each one is a breadcrumb that we can go back into the internal aspect of someone and wonder like what would have to happen to what would have to be happening for someone that would give rise to this behavior now that is a completely different paradigm and it already evokes that sense of compassion like when somebody is drowning in that much tragic expressions and it's that horrible they really need you to get in the rowboat, go out, pull them into the boat, wrap a warm blanket around them, make them a cup of cocoa, let them know you're there. I see you're having a hard time. I see you're drowning. I see you're struggling. How can I help you? What can I do for you? What's going on? You know, and that compassion first creates connection. 
which creates the ability to actually support this person in changing their behavior. Wow. Yes. And I can clearly see, Catherine, you're so passionate about this and the work that you're doing uh, is incredible. Um, And what we didn't uh, also mention earlier is that you have um, an Amazon bestselling book as well, The Seven Strategies to Keep Your Relationship with Your Kids from Hitting the the Boiling Point. And you've been on tons of media. And clearly, this is a topic that I'm actually surprised that this is not been a conversation that we've had on this show over the last 75 episodes or so that it's interesting. I love what you're, I love what you're saying about this now, how just, I mean, it seems so simple starting with compassion, just really, I love your analogy, rowing up to them with a the hot cocoa and a blanket over them. Yes. Right? And I love the picture that paints. And so if I could challenge our parents, just think about that picture that Kevin just painted for us when your kid is throwing a massive exploding behavioral something or other. We (laughs) don't focus on our experience of it. Mm -hmm. Most parenting focuses on my experience of this situation when you're so upset, when you're using words that trigger me when you're doing and behaving in ways that trigger other people, which if I wanted to wear the hat of judgment, we would put in the category of wrong and bad and punishable. Mm -hmm. If I step out of that jackal consciousness, so Marshall Rosenberg was one of my other teachers and Marshall's Mm -hmm. the founder of restorative justice. And Marshall says, "You, you choose, you choose everything. You choose everything. You choose the way you hear everything. And you get to choose if you want to put those jackal ears on and hear all of that with your judgment. Mm-hmm. Or you can put on your giraffe ears, which is the ears of compassion, because a giraffe has the largest heart of any land-based mammal. 75-pound heart. So you can <laughs> see through the eyes of your heart with love and compassion and see, obviously, this is the person who is falling apart in front of you. But because we believe that people must fall apart politely and we have that, that rule, we, we can't get past our rule of if you're going to fall apart, do it politely. And then I can have some love and compassion and support for you. If you don't do it politely, I'm going to go into my judgment and I'm going to go into creating more distance between you and me, go to your room. You're not going out. I'm going to make whatever is happening for you worse. Mm -hmm. Worse, mostly because I I rob you of my connection. I take away my connection to you. I see you as somehow separate. Like I couldn't be the one falling apart like that. When I just call, I call bullshit. We could Mm -hmm. all be falling apart like that. Yes. Yes. I see that so clear, so clearly, right? Take away something it makes it worse. You lose that connection. Then you're mad at each other. Then it's like, just this, like, I, I, I call them my household. You're throwing oil on the fire. (laughs) I talk about all the time. Here's the gasoline and you throw it on the fire. And now the house is burning down. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no, that's not the fire extinguisher. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. And I guess the key is when I want to focus on my experience of you, 
when you're falling apart, I'm losing the point. It's not about my experience of you. It has nothing to do with my experience of you. However, I can change my experience of you when I change my inner narrative. Mm -hmm. When my narrative about you becomes something other than that's naughty, misbehaving, out to get me, inappropriate, bad. When I change those words that I use to describe what I see, Mm -hmm. I change my own internal experience, Mm -hmm. which is why I get to choose. I get to choose which hat I'm going to wear. Do I want to wear the jackal hat? Do I want to wear the giraffe hat? That's profound. I get to choose how I hear you. Wow. Huge. It's huge. And uh, I know I've, I've experienced this as a parent from the, the experience of that judgment first to over a course of a few months and a few, few, several weeks and months into more of this is an amazing kid. I love like just noticing all the amazing things. Holy smokes. What an incredible shift I had personally. Yeah. Um, and, and our connection together is much stronger and it's a different connection than we had yeah. you know, prior to those few weeks and few months. I see, I've seen how that is made such a massive impact just in our own home. Yeah. Imagine the effect that would have that in the schoolyards and at school and across yeah. the across the uh, globe as the kids have more connection and are feeling seen and heard and we don't yeah. have those things. Yeah. Well, if we, you know, if we look at the tragic expression of the unmet need and when in the midst of someone expressing through whatever diabolical behavior that they have, if we're able to put the oxygen mask on ourselves, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not going to take this personally. <laughs> okay, this is really hard to be around. And I've got all kinds of judgments that are arising. And I know that if I choose that road, this will mm-hmm. be the dance. It will be the dance of anger and defiance. And we're going to get into the anger and defiance dance. It's very popular. And it breaks down our connection. And we're just, at that point, we're just two ships passing in the night. Here's this person who's falling apart in ways that are hard to be around and hard not to judge, but they are already falling apart. Now, I actually, because I focus on my experience of being around this, now I'm focusing on me and what's going on for me when you're falling apart rather than, it isn't even about me. Why am I spending all this time focusing on me? This isn't even about me. Let me just focus on this precious human being who can't seem to find their center, who has lost their equilibrium, who is desperately in need of a lifeline. Mm. So, okay, let me take care of me first so that I can go back and be with this person in a way that isn't pouring gasoline on a fire. Yeah, but you're getting into that rowboat and you're rowing out there with the cocoa on the blanket. (laughs) You do. You got to make the decision to get in the boat. All right, I'm going to go in the boat. I'd like to kill him, but nope, I'm going to get in the boat. I'm going to go out there. Okay, yeah, gird your loin. (laughs) Oh my God, that's amazing. So Catherine, you have a community called the Conscious Parenting Revolution. Can you share a little bit about us? Like, what do you do in that group? How do you you work with parents and families? Yeah, so ConsciousParentingRevolution.com is the website. And then we also have a private Facebook group called I Love My Kid. And so, you know, join the private Facebook group every Tuesday. I work with a pediatrician, Dr. Lauren Fulkerson, who is also in my coaching programs, helping the parents. And it's really nice to have a pediatrician 
mm-hmm. because everybody likes to know, like, am, you know, is this normal? And, you know, are they really okay? And, and it's great to have her. So we, we do a, we do a Tuesday tips for parents every week. So we'll, we'll just pick any, we usually, cause our coaching calls are, are on Monday night mm-hmm. and pretty much any food for fodder that comes up in those coaching calls ends up in our Tuesday tips is a continuing conversation around like what was brought up last night in the call. Right. So for people who are looking for community, mm-hmm. I would join the private Facebook group. Awesome. And so easy to find. I love my kids. <laughs> I love my kid. Yeah. It's a I tiny URL. Kid. I love my kid. Awesome. And, um, and if you go to the conscious parenting revolution, I actually have a needs assessment analysis, mm. which is right there. Because when I talk about underlying unmet needs, nobody knows what that is. Like, really, what are my needs? What are the needs of mine that are not being met that are given, you know, rise to this feeling? So, you know, the re the recontextualizing around how to how to have a relationship to my feelings mm-hmm. is a big part of the revolution. So we need to understand that we can be with any feeling and that no feeling is good, bad, right, wrong. No feeling is better than any other feeling. They're all just messengers. The feelings are really just messengers coming to us to give us a clue about our inner beingness and like, you know, go there, go look over there, you know, be connected with this part of you that's needing something because it's struggling. So just the language I'm using allows you to get bigger than what's bugging you. So that's part of the mission is for us to have a way to get bigger than what's bugging us so that we can have emotional regularity. You can use that a magnifying glass and find all those breadcrumbs along the way <laughs> before, totally. they, before they come become uh, and and loaves of bread before they become <laughs> loaves of bread. <laughs> loaves of bread. That's a good word. I was going to say I don't know muffins or something. That yeah, they going to become loaves of bread if we can start to pick up the subtle, you know, bits and pieces that kids drop all the time, and so do adults. So I mean, we're saying this in the context of parenting. Right. But what I know is that every parent has within them their inner child. Right. And that inner child has to some extent or another been activated by their children and the way their children are responding to certain circumstances or situations. Yes. So that's where I guess it's our children are such a gift to us mm-hmm. because they will be the catalyst for internal experiences that we're having that may be painful, but that's okay. That's okay. Feeling better doesn't necessarily equal progress. And I always love <laughs> that expression because in so many people, you know, including myself, we think, well, if I could only just have these only just this group of feelings, like these five, <laughs> you know, and everything else, could you please just, I don't want to have those anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when we realize, wow, you know, all feelings are just bringing information to connect ourselves to our inner world. Mm, I love it. And uh, it was interesting when I was on your website, I noticed that Conscious Parenting Revolution, the acronym for it is CPR, which is very, very clever. It really is. And like yeah. very interesting. It's like putting your yep. mask on first. It really CPR, is. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's that whole sort of, you know, it is a life support system. And if we have the ability to recognize that a lot of our experience, maybe all of our experience is through our own perspective. As I was saying earlier, we think sometimes we have to get a child to change. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. or we have to get our spouse or whoever we, you know, maybe in a co-parenting relationship to change in order for our experience to be better. If we live in that world, then we're always the victim. And we always are out of control of being able to have an impact on our own experience. Mm -hmm. So it's a shift to be able to say, I may never get you to change. I may never get an invitation to your birthday party. If I were a little child, it would be, Mm -hmm. I may not ever get into that group, but I don't give that group or any other person the power over me to command how I'm going to be today. And that's taking the power back. And I work with kids and parents to help their children take their power back Mm -hmm. because kids have often given their power away. And it's as though I show them a little remote control and I'm like, so who have you given the remote control over you, your behaviors, your state of mind, your being, who has that right now? Because they're the ones who get to push a button and activate and get you to get in trouble. Mm. Take it back. Take that remote control back, go in that classroom, take it back from Jane or Judy or John or Joe or whoever it is and stop giving your power away. Ooh, such a powerful message, not only for our kids, but for us. Not only for our kids. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's just so much like all of this is fluid. Have you ever heard of the book Queen Bees and Wannabes? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, the Queen Bees and Wannabes is not just in your middle schools and your high schools. It's in your society. It's in our society. We get to face it all over the place and see those who play those different roles Mm -hmm. and be like always in wonder around, okay, well, what's this, what's it bringing up for me? What is the gift for me in this? Mm, I love that. What is the gift for me in this? Such a good, such a good way to, to look at it. Well, Catherine, I've loved this interview so much. You are so amazing. And we're so grateful for your time today to come and share this with us. And um, Blissful Parents out there, I challenge you to please go join Catherine's Facebook group. I love my kid. And also go check out ConsciousParentingRevolution.com where you can join and get the needs assessment there so you can kind of see where you're at. And the needs assessment is is for parents to do for their kids or for themselves. Actually, it intertwines both. Perfect. So it gives parents the chance to like reflect on, are you getting enough rest? Yeah. (laughs) What about your kids? Are you putting the boundaries in place to get your children the rest that they need? Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of like, wow, you know, maybe I'm not doing that. What am I not doing for myself? Because parents, if you're not taking care of you and putting the oxygen mask on your mouth first and your nose, you got to take care of yourselves, people. You got to, you got to prioritize you. Absolutely. And that's, oh gosh, such a good note to end on. But Catherine, is there anything else you'd like our parents to know before we let you go? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. I just like to say, see your children beautiful. So, you know, if we can see our children beautiful at the times when we want to punish and when they're falling apart, if we can continue to see past the behaviors and the words, like Marshall's used to say, never listen to the words people say. Just think about what would happen. Just think about the world. If we would stop focusing on the surface words and behaviors and just look at them as a canvas that's filled with information and, and be able to be detached enough so that we can actually be more compassionate. Yeah. Wow. Yes. 
And it seems like compassion is like is the key, is the key here. The compassion for self, for self, <laughs> yeah. and for others, for self and for others, for self and for others. Sometimes people are better at giving compassion to others than self. And they go into blaming and getting mad at themselves. And I should have done it better. And what's wrong with me? And I would say, if you're one of those parents listening, you know, please be kind to yourself and recognize that all of us are human and we make mistakes and we get exhausted and we say things we don't mean. And the faster that we can just be, you know, I don't feel good about that. I wish I'd handled that differently. Um, I've never seen a child who hasn't responded with, it's okay, mommy, or it's okay, dad. We all make mistakes. There's so much forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And just allowing yourself to say that gives your children the ability to also be able to say, I don't like the way I handled that. Could I do a do-over? Let's start this over again. Mm, Amazing. Oh, such good food for thought, parents. Uh, Go back and re-listen to this episode, please keep this one in your pockets because it's definitely such a good, such good reminders of how we can just be the best parents that we can and have more blissful parenting experience like we all are after. So thank you so much, Catherine, for being here with us today. It was great, Michelle. Awesome. Blissful parents. We'll see you again next week. Thanks so much for tuning in today and take care. Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.